0: Okay, please open your Bible, Second uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, please. I have been telling my friends who were outdoors in other parts of the country that we had an hour-long conversation about whether 75 degrees would be too hot to have an outdoor service. My pastor friends in the southeast, and in the northeast for that matter, responded with thoughts and words that no christian should have toward another no pastor should ever speak that way especially to a fellow pastor it was awful and i can't wait until this service is over when i get to tell them it was in the high 60s but we provided shade anyway (laughs) because there were there were whole moments where the sun peeked out under the clouds and reflected off the white tent into my eyes and it was just the slightest bit uncomfortable, but you can see how courageous I am. You'll notice no sunglasses. Portraits courage, ladies and gentlemen, here in the Crosspoint parking lot. Now then, this is one of the adjustments I'm going to have to make. I need something to hold the pages of my Bible down. Anybody have something somewhat heavy? Keys? Keys will work. Okay. much better. Everybody still with me? So strange, ladies and gentlemen, forgive me. There are entire moments where I ask myself, is this really happening? Is somebody really throwing me their keys? When I should already be preaching so that I can put them on my Bible and some of you are wearing sunglasses under the tent. So that that's <laughs> Oh, thank God we don't live in Phoenix. Okay. I feel the need to pray once more, then we're going to go straight into the Bible, okay? Father, thank you for the gift of laughter. Help us learn to laugh and to experience joy and to have that peace which passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy is a letter written from Death Row. Paul's deep concern as he writes Timothy is that the faith be passed on. You can see that in the second chapter, in the second verse. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, make sure you entrust the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. You give that to faithful men who will be be able to teach others as well. Paul's dying. It's actually happening. He's been left for dead before, but now he's actually going to die. He says at the end of the letter, famously, that he has completed his course. He's run the race, he's kept the faith, he's fought the good fight, and now it's over. So it's very surprising, since Paul is writing for death row, that he really spends the bulk of the letter, the purpose of the letter, is to encourage Timothy, who's on the outside. That's counterintuitive, but it's Christian. Paul is about to be executed by the Roman Empire. What they have threatened to do, what a mob has nearly done on several occasions is actually going to happen now, and Paul's entire concern is to give Timothy some courage. Have you tried to spend any time through the pandemic encouraging somebody else? Have you done any of that? Has that been easy? No, it's exhausting. If you think about the word in courage, what you're trying to do is put courage in someone else. You're trying to give them courage. And that letter is, that really is the bulk of this letter, especially the first thing that Paul says to Timothy after the greeting. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. That's the measure of Paul's character. Paul is on death row, but as he reflects on the end of his life, he thinks to himself, I have served God as godly people did before me. I have served God with a clear conscience. And Timothy, as I sit here awaiting my execution, here's what I'm doing. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. And day. I I can't fathom character that generous, that Christ like. Paul is not succumbing to bitterness or fear. As he faces his own unjust death, he is thinking of others. He is thinking of Timothy. He is thinking of Timothy, he tells us, constantly. It's not a thoughts and prayers thing. He is thinking, he is remembering him constantly in prayers, night and day. Paul, how are you spending your final days before they kill you? Thinking of Timothy and praying for him. Verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Let me give you the Garner paraphrase. Timothy. As I face my death, I'm always thinking of you. And every time I think of you, I thank God for you and pray for you. Because I remember as I reflect on the ministry that God gave us together, that you were often crying. And what I would like most is to see you again, to rejoice again that we are back face to face. What does that tell you? This little paragraph, which I'll share with you briefly, is a picture of how Christians encourage others, of how Christians in hard times encourage other people and specifically pass on the faith to them in the middle of suffering. That needs to be really a focus and a concern for our church. I'm so glad that God directed Pastor Byron and his wife Alyssa to our church family at this time to work with our youth because I know so many of you parents and grandparents, you're, you're hurting, but you're solid. You're steady in your faith. Your children and your grandchildren, they're heavy on my heart. They haven't walked with Jesus as long as you have. They haven't seen his power and his miracles the way you have. They're trying to sort out whether their faith is real, whether God can be found, whether any of this can be trusted. Understand the measure of the character of Paul As he faces death, he wants to make sure that his protege, his best co-laborer in the gospel, where Paul said elsewhere, there's no one else like him. I have no one else like him who will be concerned about your matters. They only care about themselves. Timothy stands alone, and in his final days, Paul's main concern is to give courage to Timothy. How do we do that? Number one, if you're keeping notes, we are going old school. We're bringing back hymns and songs in print, and we're handing out handouts so you can write things down for the first time in many years. If you're keeping notes, here's the first thing. The first thing we do to encourage one another in hard times is this. We keep, we keep loving each other. These first two verses are a picture of love. Paul says, Timothy, I'm, as I face death, I'm not thinking of myself I'm not thinking of the execution. I'm not thinking of the injustice. I am remembering you constantly in my prayers. Night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So if you want to encourage others, keep loving them and love them specifically, not only by thinking fondly of them, but by praying for them constantly and doing all that you can to be near them to encourage them through this difficulty. That's to me, has been the real crisis in the pandemic, is what it has done to relationships, how it has separated us precisely when we needed each other the most. That's what I want to tell you, with all of my limitations, I'm committed in our staff and our volunteers, the hundreds of people who make this church what it is and do the work of the ministry together, we're committed to have, staying in relationship with each other in any circumstances that are necessary. We don't want to lose touch with one another. We want to keep loving each other and knowing each other and encouraging one another through love and prayer and remembrance. Look in verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Why do you think Paul is bringing Timothy's mom and grandma into this? Look carefully at verse 5 again. Let's study the Bible a little bit together. Here's what you know about Timothy so far. He seems to be someone unlike Paul who perhaps is easily discouraged. Because Paul's on death row saying, Timothy, I remember your tears. And what I hear there is, I know how hard this must be on you. Think about the Christian love for somebody else where somebody is facing their own execution and saying to their protege, boy, this has got to be tough on you. That's love. I'm constantly thinking of you. I'm always thanking God for you. As I remember you, I'm praying for you constantly, night and day. That's love. What is verse 5 about? I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I think the key is in the last phrase. I am sure faith dwells in you as well. Why is Paul bringing this up? Doesn't this seem odd that it's kind of a strange time to drag grandma and mom into it? Why is that? Because the second way we encourage each other is this. We need to remind each other that our faith is real. Because if you suffer long enough, you'll doubt everything, including whether God is with you. If you suffer long enough, if you feel lonely enough, if you feel forsaken enough, you'll come to question whether anything that you have been told about God and the gospel is true. If that is shocking to you, I would like to remind you that the man Jesus called the greatest man to ever live, John the Baptist, from prison sent messengers to Jesus with one question. Are you really the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? Why would the greatest man who was ever born of woman according to Jesus until Jesus himself was born, why would a man who pointed fearlessly to Jesus, who preached to everybody and preached against every sin and power structure in his country, who one day pointed to Jesus and say, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Why would John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus and saw the Son of God coming out of the water as God the Father spoke over him and the Holy Spirit manifested himself in the form of a dove, why would John the Baptist ask Jesus, are you really the Savior? Because that's what suffering does to you when it goes on long enough. This week I received one of the most surprising calls of my life, a man I've never met, called to say that he's been listening and watching sermons for a few months. And because of physical problems in his life, namely blindness, he felt for the first time in his life, if I understood him correctly, that God had abandoned him. But he heard a sermon, a recent sermon, I'm not sure which one on this little series we're in right now on courage. And he called out to God in prayer And he went to sleep, and he woke up the next morning with his sight restored. He called to thank me. I have absolutely nothing to do with it. That was purely God. That was purely the power of Jesus, having mercy on a man in his hour of need. Now, why would a man who's walked with Jesus for so long have such dark doubts? Because that's what suffering does to people. When your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your partners in ministry express doubts and fears, give them courage first by loving them and secondly by doing what Paul is doing for Timothy here. Number two, let's remind one another that our faith is real. Timothy is being reminded of his grandmother and his mother and of his own faith because Paul knows that Timothy is shaken, so he is telling him, the faith, I am reminded of your, watch the adjective, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now look at this, I am, what's Paul say? I'm sure, I'm sure the faith dwells in you. Who needs this kind of encouragement? Everybody. Every single person, every Christian you know, needs this kind of encouragement that the faith is real, that the Jesus they've walked with for years is unchanged, that he is still in control, that he is still faithful, that he is still merciful, that only circumstances have changed, and the character of God has not. If you suffer long enough, you can doubt anything. So we give each other courage first by loving one another and secondly by reminding each other in hard times that the faith we have in Christ is real and sufficient. This is why we need community. Because I've been walking with Jesus, just to give you a personal example, I've been walking with Jesus since I was a child. I began pastoral ministry in this church when I was still in college. That's been 30 years now. My relationship with Jesus has been just like yours and just like every other relationship. It's ebbed and it's flowed. There have been mountaintops of glory and valleys of real darkness. That's real. That happens. The reason the Lord gave us not only himself but each other The reason we not only belong to Christ but we belong to one another is to take each other by the hand through the dark valleys and to keep walking together so that when the courage of one falters, the courage of another is there to pick him up. Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's in Galatians 6. He says that every person must bear their own load. Every person must take responsibility for themselves, but we must bear one another's burdens because that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? I have to take responsibility for my faith. You have to take responsibility for your relationship with the Lord. But this world filled with suffering and a pandemic is a great time to see it will sometimes thrust burdens on individuals and individual families that are too great for them to bear alone, where they will feel feel despair and fear and hopelessness. And at that moment, those who are not so burdened put their shoulder beneath the burden of the person who is being crushed and say to them, we're going to carry that together for a while. And given time, the person who is being crushed says, I've heard from God, my circumstances have changed, God has given me a new perspective. Whatever God decides to do, I feel better now, and now they'll have the ability to put their shoulder under the burden of someone else. This is how we stick together. This is how we love each other. This is how we encourage one another in hard times. Look in verse 6 and 7. For this reason... In other words, Timothy, because your faith is real, for this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I won't have time to walk you through all that Paul is talking about here, but if you put these two letters together, a prophecy was spoken regarding Timothy that God would call him and empower him to gospel ministry. Other appointed church leaders, elders, including Paul, laid hands on Timothy and dedicated him into the ministry he is now serving. But what's happening to Timothy is what happens to everybody who suffers. When you begin to suffer, the first casualty is your service to other people. When you suffer, when you're discouraged, when you're fearful, the very first thing that naturally happens is you pull back, understandably, reasonably. You say, I've got to take care of myself right now, and you stop serving others. So what is Paul's counsel to Timothy? You have a gift of God. What I want you to do is fan it into flame. Timothy, the fire's still there, but it's burned down to the embers. You need to start exercising the gifts God gave you that were recognized by other Christians. You need to get back into service. You need to get back into... into the fight, and it says in verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So what's the third thing that people do that we should do to encourage one another? Here it is, number three, let's keep serving people. If you forget service to others, you will have forgotten the reason you were given gifts and life in the first place. The real catastrophe for this church will come when everybody decides this is so painful, this is so fearsome, this is so awful that I'm just going to take care of me. At the moment Christians start caring only about themselves, at that very moment they stopped acting like Christ. Because Christ came not to serve but to be served, we're told, and to give His life a ransom for many. What you're seeing here from Paul is the Spirit of Christ Himself, who on His way to the cross sought only to encourage His disciples. Read John 15 through 17 this week and you'll see what I mean. Some of the greatest teaching that Jesus ever gave His disciples occurred between the Last Supper and the cross. The teaching about the vine and the branches Much of the teaching regarding the Holy Spirit and the prayer of Jesus in John 17, where Jesus for the first time allows the disciples to hear him speak to his Father at length, he's praying for them. Because the Spirit of Christ in a season of suffering is not to pull back and take care of self, it's to step forward and to serve others. And Paul says the reason for that is, verse 7, God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. How many of you have heard this verse quoted since the pandemic started? I've heard this verse quoted and misused more than any Bible verse since this whole thing got started. People have crammed all kinds of craziness into this verse as their reason to do all kinds of things. I want you to see it in context. Our courage, the courage we have and the courage we give to others, it all comes from God's grace. It says God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power, love, and self-control. What that means is courage is already in your spiritual DNA if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't have to psych yourself up into it. It is a gift of God. Please note that. Verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. The spirit of fear is the spirit of sin and shame and guilt that tells you you're worthless, that tells you you're condemned, that tells you God could never love someone like you, that tells you life is already over and you may as well end it now, the gospel changes all of that. And what God does in Christ is give us not the old spirit and attitude of fear. Instead, he gives us a new attitude through his Holy Spirit of power, love, and self-control. And that's all in God's grace. So if you're saying to yourself these days, I can't handle this, you're half right. You can't handle it. But you in Christ can handle anything that Jesus leads you into. There is nothing that is going to happen to you that is outside of your father's care and love and is outside of your spiritual capability because you have been given. The Greek word is the word grace. It's the same gift of the gospel. Along with salvation comes power and love and self-control. Let's think briefly about each one of those words. Why are we given power? We're given power to get things done. We're given love to do the right things. Much of what distresses us about our country is that we see the use of power without love. If Christians only exercise power, if we only use authority, and we do it without love we'll do nothing of Christ because Christ has all the power but he always acts with love if you only have love but you have no power you just fall into sentimentality this is when you say to someone I wish I could help you but you can't you ever had to say that to somebody I have many times I wish I could help you. I love you. There's nothing I can do. I don't have the power. I don't have the authority to do anything about that. Power gives you the ability to get things done. Love gives you the capacity to do the right thing. And self-control makes sure that you don't lose it. Since this pandemic began, I've seen a lot of people who walked carefully with the Lord for years, lose it, ruin their testimonies, bring embarrassment to their own name, strike fear into the hearts of their kids who've never seen dad or mom act quite like that because they lost self-control. God has given you a spirit already to do everything you need to do. How do we encourage each other? We encourage each other by staying close enough in contact with God, to pray for each other, and as we're able, we get back in front of each other so that we can rekindle the joy of relationship. We also, number two, we remind ourselves in the darkest moments that our faith is quite real. And when suffering comes for us, we step forward, not to take care of ourselves, but to serve others, trusting that God has already given us Spiritual power to get things done, love to make sure it's the right thing that gets done, and self-control so that we get to keep it, so that we don't ruin our name, we don't ruin our legacy, we don't spoil the gift we just gave by selfish, angry, fearful behavior that ruins it all and casts a shadow of doubt over everything we've just done. What am I trying to tell you, church? Simply this, you've already been given everything you need to get it done. Everything you need to get through this season as God's child, as God's kid, as a husband who is in relationship with God, as a wife who belongs to Jesus, as a child in a home who has to relate to your parents, who let's be honest are acting stranger than they ever have. That's because your parents don't quite know what to do, just like you. Whatever your role in life, Whatever this has meant for you, economically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, you've already received from God everything you need to get what God wants done, done. So let's encourage each other. Can we do that this week? Let me make this very practical. For those of you who are already part of our church family, I know some of you are new, and I'm delighted that you're here. We want to relate to you. We want to be close to you. We want you to have at least one small circle of real friends in this family. For those of you who are already here, this is your church family. This is where God has planted you. Could I ask you right now specifically in prayer to ask God for one or two names of people that you are specifically going to encourage this week. You're going to encourage them the way Paul encouraged Timothy. You're going to pray for them. You're going to call them or text them or email them or FaceTime them or Zoom them or Google Hangout with them or go at the park and stay 12 feet away from them so that you can see them face to face. You're going to do something to rekindle relationship with them You're going to remind them of the reality of the faith that you share with them. And you're going to serve them with the spirit that Christ gave you. of power, love, and self-control. Could I ask you to take just a minute, if you have your pen and paper, or if you want to make a note on your phone, and write down the names of two people that you're going to do that for this week? We can multiply encouragement. We can give courage. Just from this group here, and if you're watching me online, from the people who are watching me online, we could multiply encouragement to over a thousand people if you'll do this. Just check on people. Tell them you love them. Tell them that Jesus is still in control. Tell them that you're ready to serve them. If something comes up where they have a practical need, step forward and do it. This is how we act as the church. This is how we prove that we're God's kids. This is how we show the Spirit of Christ. The good news is we've already been given everything it takes to get everything done. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. This has been a turbulent morning. We had a lot of questions and we ran into a lot of problems. But we came together and we sang And we love you, Lord. And we want to ask you in the name of Jesus that everything we've heard today would be a living, actual reality, that we would prove our Christianity this week by seeking to encourage others in our own time of need the way Paul once encouraged Timothy from death row. Thank you for this opportunity. May the gospel go forward. May the gospel increase. May Christians act like Christians more this week than we have at any time in our lives. I ask it in the name of Jesus, and Crosspoint said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, and thank you.